All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cinema Sound Bites, a podcast and community for lovers of music and media. My name is Jillian Orwall. I'm hosting today, and my co-host is Josh, the composer. Josh, you want to say hi? Yeah. Hi. Um, yeah, online, uh, everywhere you can find me as Josh, the composer. All right. Uh, we have Peter Skoma. He is moderating today. You want to say a quick hi? Hello, everyone. I'm Peter Skoma. Thinking about changing my name to Squirrely J. You can let me know what you think about that. <laughs> so keep that in mind. So our very first guest today and ever on this podcast is Evan Johnston. Hi, everybody. Intro. Um, thanks especially to Squirrely J um, for having me. Uh, it's welcome. a pleasure to be here. Um, looking forward to this. So thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for having me. All right, so Evan Johnston, he's a composer and producer in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, his work has been featured on CBS's The Good Fight, NPR's Morning Edition, and Hamilton, History Has Its Eyes on You on Disney+. Plus. He recently produced singer-songwriter Sarah Dooley's second album, Is This Heartbreak, released in late 2020. Um, so why don't, we, why don't we start, we can kind of talk about how we all met and how we know each other. Um, so we all went to Fierstein Graduate School of Cinema. How did you like Fierstein? What you know? What are your thoughts on the program? Yeah. You know, the thing about getting an MFA, it's like it's not as if once you have your MFA, all of a sudden, all of these opportunities become available to you. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm ha I'll be happy to have the degree. Just you know, considering the possibility that I would want to teach someplace one day, so it would be a good thing to have. But as so I said, parties. To say it's I have nice, a master's totally. degree, just to brag a little That's, bit. I'm smart for sure. <laughs> for sure. So, I mean, what, what's your opinion on people who people listening who want to get into film music? How useful is a master's degree? I, I don't know. I think it's hard. Everybody's situation is different. I mean, I can speak to my experience, which was from undergrad, and when I started this program, there were you know there was like six years in there where. I was kind of trying, you know, cobbling together a career as like a freelance independent musician, um, doing a variety of different things. Um, and then a part of that pie was was music for picture stuff. Everything that I did, I really enjoyed. Um, it just felt to me like things weren't moving quite fast enough. Like I, I didn't know enough people. I didn't have enough. The thing about being a, a composer for a picture is there has to be picture first yep. you know like you can't just do it in a vacuum so you have to have people to work with there have totally. to be projects for you to work on so insofar as um i have gotten to work on like an exponentially greater number of projects over the last couple of years than i had before i started school i i think it's been extremely useful i think the <laughs> thing with 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 me with like trying to be a composer for film and television is you just have to be super patient because yeah like, like I said, you can't really control your own destiny. Um, to some extent, you, you have to like keep hacking away at it and wait for that elusive break I'm, that I'm yeah. still waiting for. Maybe it's like you have to look for it, be as open as possible to as many opportunities as possible. And mm -hmm. going to grad school is one of those opportunities and it will open more opportunities. It might not be totally. necessary. There's plenty of famous composers, you know, people even not famous who are making a living doing it who haven't gone to grad school. So it's not, it's not a required thing. 100%. Like, you know, especially I think if you have the presence of mind and the foresight to know that this is what you want to do when you're an undergraduate, 
Um, and I mean, you don't even have to go to college to do this kind of work. It's a skills oriented industry. It's a connections oriented industry. So if you're good enough and if you have the opportunities, like you said, Jillian, like definitely not, um, a requirement. Cool. So, um, yeah, one of the great things about the program is you get to study with some, um, really top notch people that are working in the industry. And what do you think is the most important thing about being mentored by someone like this? 100%. That was definitely another thing that I was hoping to get out of the experience is like a feeling of mentorship. One of the other things that I'm experimenting with is the sound design, sound mixing, sound post side of it all. Um, and there's a guy who is his first semester teaching at, at Fierstein this year. His name is Kevin Allen. He is a sound designer, sound post person. He's teaching a course that's all about sound production for, for post. Um, he's been amazing, kind of the the bleeding the lines between sound design and, and composing to some extent. He, he's a really cool, invaluable resource um, and, and overall like a, a, somebody who I'm really happy to know. Um, on the composition side, uh, last in the fall, I was taking from Erica Chikian, which Josh, I know you um, have also worked with him composer yeah. based out of Brooklyn, really awesome guy. And also uh, I was studying with Joanne Harris, who is an orchestration teacher at Fierstein, amazing composer in her own right. Um, I studied with Eric for multiple semesters, but also studied with Sonny Kompanek, kind of a legend um, composer, arranger, orchestrator guy. Peter, I know that you also- uh, Yeah, he's amazing. He is amazing. Very, feel very lucky to have um, gotten to spend some time with him. Dee Dee Jackson, pianist extraordinaire, um, took took a semester of lessons with him as well. So yeah, that's a great part about um, about school. Josh, to your point, like having that mentorship is is invaluable. It's, it's been amazing. All right, great. We had you send mm -hmm. two things that you've been working on recently. I think first I want to play the one you sent us called Bad Kids. Do you want to give us a quick introduction on what this assignment was for, if it's for a short a movie? This was um, a piece that I originally wrote for a little commercial spot that I got hired to do by a, another Fierstein student, a director, who kind of came to me in the last minute for this little promo that she was doing, I think, for a charter school. And the premise of the commercial was very, very simple. It was like the beginning of the commercial were a bunch of little kids being throwing tantrums and being nightmares and like destroying their classroom. And then the second half of the commercial was kids being very productive and sitting quietly and collab and you know sharing and collaborating and so it was like you know super simple but the turnaround was like a day all well, right let's listen um, to it and then we have some questions about it afterwards sure.
applause. Thank you. The feel I got for it was just the first word that came to mind was mischievous. Yeah. I just think you did such a great job of with the instrumentation. As I love the bassoon. I, the, I love the bassoon, but it's just such a silly instrument. It's, it's exactly. silly and beautiful at the same time. I don't exactly. know how else to describe it. I, and even the melody was, you know, the swung rhythm. You had the chromatic lines. question is from your brain to the final product. How did you approach the instrumentation, melody to kind of achieve totally. that effect? Well, I, I mean, I completely agree with you that the bassoon is such a contradiction because, or it's a little bit of a paradox because it is such a silly sounding instrument, but then you have like the opening of the Rite of Spring where it's playing very high in its register and it's like kind of plaintive and very beautiful. The thing is, my sample libraries <laughs> are pretty cobbled together. I don't have the money to totally, I haven't gotten that one, that elusive job where I'm like, great, I can go spend $5,000 on samples. Yep. I haven't had that gig yet. So um, I'm working with what I have and what you have are that you can't make a bassoon sound really beautiful with cheap samples. You can make a bassoon sound very silly and also believable, yep. I think, I think with, with the samples that I have. So in that sense, you know, that the first thing to come was that the string plodding, like I wanted it to be mischievous. I also wanted it to be like uh, unstoppable force, you know, mm. like a kid, like just Godzilla coming through. Yeah, I, I, I get that stomping yeah. sound. I get that now. That's funny. Again, a lot of this just comes from necessity. I'm trying to make the most of what I have when it comes to putting that melody on the piano. That's a sample that I don't like. I wish it were better, but it's still a decent sound. And because it's a piano and I'm a, like, I am a keyboardist, that is my instrument. It is easy to express a melody, a phrase. You talked about the swung kind of contrast with the rest of the arrangement, which is, you know, totally on purpose. And that's something that you can't achieve with, if I were going to try and play this on like a, a fiddle patch or something, it just wouldn't sound good. Yeah. Um, so again, necessity, I think is, is the mother of a lot of this, a lot of this stuff, just putting a, putting a, a melody on a, on a piano is so much easier for me than putting it on something else. Yeah, definitely. Um, we just started doing these YouTube challenges where we find a short clip that's 30 seconds long and we have to basically score it in one hour using free wow. VSTs, like labs wow. stuff or built-in. And it's kind of, yeah. to, to tie into what you're saying, it's kind of to show people that you don't need $5,000 of equipment to make something. No. Just like that, what, what you had, it was beautiful. It was, you know, I think even Peter, when we listened to it earlier, he's like, those aren't Real instruments, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal. Yeah. There you go. I mean, you can trick people into thinking totally. that. And I have like a template that's just Labs instruments that I will, like a Logic template that I'll pull up. And it's mo mostly because I think it's cool that you can make, it's amazing the stuff that you can make with just free samples. You have to be free samples. It's like Costco. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, that was very distracting to me. <laughs> That's very nostalgic um, to me. Yeah, right? I'm like, damn, I want like a little... We got hungry pig. all of a sudden. I want a pig in a blanket right now. Um, that kind of made me think of something. Um, yeah. You mentioned your templates. How important is a template to you? And mm. do you have different templates for different things? And how do you like approach making a template? For sure. You know, you know I'm not the most detail-oriented person in general. Um, I'm not going to like pan the camera around, but uh, it's kind of always like a like a working mess. Like I know where everything is, but 
nobody else does kind of kind of thing. So I have some, I, I definitely use them. I have a few different ones that are, again, kind of tailored to like what samples I have. So there's one that is like everything that's very like Erica Chickian style, like open it up, you have, you know, and you can set it in logic so that instruments only load as you need them. So it's not as if it's not like this huge CPU strain. You just have everything available to you. And if you want to activate something and play around with it, you can. Um, and then I have like a chamber one. And then I have this labs one, which is only, again, like I'm ready for this one minute YouTube challenge or one one minute, one hour YouTube challenge because- You should do uh, it with us next time. Yeah, yeah I'd love to. Yeah, it's, it, it is, it is kind of, it is fun. And it's limited, it somehow- to me, I get very overwhelmed by too many choices. Exactly. I get yeah. super overwhelmed totally. by just like that, that. That is not helpful to me. Um, having everything under the sun, to me, it like I'm sweating. So the <laughs> especially with like labs where they all sound pretty good. They're all pretty limited. There's not a lot that you can do with them. They, they have a nice mixture of things that play nicely together that work well in a mix and then stuff that is really kind of out there more gestural, you know, it seems to me like as you get further into your career and more opportunities, like being fast, I think is really important. To me, it's almost like the Elon Musk thing of like you're interfacing with a thing between your brain and that thing. And so the faster you can get to just the creation side, which you can't really speed up, but if you can get to that faster, you know, Yep. Would you, wouldn't you agree that that's kind of the goal with templates and things like that? You know, 100%. I, I think that's completely true. Um, I also think uh, it reminds me of a guy named Timo Ellison, who's a composer for, for media, really talented and successful guy came and said something that I think is like, that I had never thought about, but that I think is really important, which is you, when you're composing in the box, when you're working with software instruments, you want to keep as much as you can, the kind of creative process separate from the cleanup housekeeping midi like you know mod wheel all of that stuff that's more like you're pruning the garden a little bit like you want to keep that separate as much as possible from the actual act of composing because once you start mixing those two it's like easy to lose the thread it is been useful for me to yeah to, to your point josh like reduce the amount of friction between having an idea and executing it um, just one more question I want to ask about this piece. Um, how do you, cause you're, you're a keyboard player, right? Um, yeah. So do you, do you always start writing melody on the piano? Yes. 100% with this, it started with the strings. Um, you know, that short, uh, spiccato patch, you know, it, it didn't start on the piano this time around, but I'll always go back to the piano. If there's yeah. something I'm, if there's a problem I'm trying to solve, I don't know what a B section is going to be. I don't know how to, you know, I, if I need something and I can't, I'm, I'm not getting it from whatever I'm doing, I'll always, you know, I'll always go to the piano for sure. Kind of like what, what you're saying. I like to, sometimes I start with the piano. Sometimes I start with the instruments because I just, piano parts are written differently than other instruments. And I, I don't want to be writing every instrument like with a piano part in mind. Josh, what are you laughing at? I was just thinking about how embarrassing my process is. I literally, <laughs> I, I like us. do the, I do the dead mouse thing where you're literally shifting things around on MIDI and like, I never play anything in. People hear my stuff and they think I do. I totally don't. I just program it like a nerd, you know, just like, <laughs> like you program it all by MIDI. That's yeah. I do it all just programmed. I, I can't play anything in unless I'm playing cello, you know, like, so I got bad. your back, Josh. I got your back. <laughs> 
Dude, I'm a terrible so embarrassing. <laughs> if, if Daft Punk, I mean, that's like the thing that was so funny, but like Daft Punk released that record at Random Access Memories and they were like, we can't play live. Like we we're going to try and play this live. We can play two bars at a time, but like we cannot play a whole song. I, you know, and like they're freaking Daft Punk. They like, who, who could, who cares? Uh, yeah, you know, right. Like, Works for I them. No, no purity tests with this stuff, you know? So it's just a question of like, you know, how to, a lot of different ways to skin a cat for sure. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of, of technology and, and all the different options is that everyone can kind of create their own style. All right. So we're just going to take a quick break and we'll come back with some lightning round questions and more music from Evan. So stick around. And we are back. Lightning round. <laughs> yeah, where's the graphic? I, I want like a... You gotta, you gotta, unfortunately, uh, our budget did not allow <laughs> the graphic. Our budget of zero dollars. Uh, we yeah. spent all the budget getting Evan here. You yeah, know? that's so, true. I know. He yeah. almost didn't do it either. Like, he yeah. almost Guys, like, you listeners are lucky. It was his touch agent and go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his agent was mad, red in the face. <laughs> I drive a hard bargain. He does. And that agent is not me with a goatee. <laughs> it's a totally different person. Not me. Totally, definitely real. <laughs> definitely real guy. Schmevin Schmonston. Totally <laughs> All right, Evan, what's yep. the first one you pick? So string library. Um, Spitfire chamber strings. Uh, brass. Uh, Spitfire, the cheap one, 29 bucks. Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um uh panoramic EQ. Oh, fab filter. Nah, yes, I agree. Um, <laughs> There's one correct answer. <laughs> yeah, you got one correct. No. Um no, I love Spitfire stuff. <laughs> yeah. Distortion or saturation plug-in. Uh decapitator. Yes. Yes. There of we course. go, Josh. You and me, buddy. <laughs> Amp simulator. Mm. Oh, good one. Probably something in Ableton that I'll just pop into. Okay, so like a made um, one that you make in Max no, MSP. I, no, like a preset. I'm not. I'm not on that level. I'm not. A, you know, I, I. I'm not in there with my wrenches and uh, you know screwdrivers and stuff. The presets are really good. Um, I don't like find myself using amp simulators that often. But. All right, uh, woodwinds. Spitfire, twenty nine bucks. <laughs> All right. What is a cue that affected you a lot in a film recent oh, or yeah. in history or any any cue in a film? Sure. Um, recently, I'm going to go with what comes to mind recently. Judas and the Black Messiah. Any of them. Crazy sounding, weird, freaking cool. Loved it. Crazy saxophone vibes. Gave me like sort of taxi driver, but like much better, cooler to me. I just loved it. I, I thought it was awesome. Yes. And uh, yeah, that's like all the lightning round questions. We wow, I've been, I feel zapped. I feel alive. <laughs> all right. So next up, we're going to listen to a, another piece that Evan sent us called Bellamica. Do you want to just give us a quick intro into what this yes. project is? Sure. This is like a portfolio piece. I would love to use this in some capacity. This is coming out of a desire to create a few pieces in the vein of like sort of like prestige drama like succession is a good example just the score that i absolutely love uh, you know the crown is another example so this was an attempt at again working with the samples i have not trying to overextend myself or make something that doesn't sound good because i have some theoretical idea of what i want it to be I'm trying to work with my template my samples and make something that is in that vein 
All right, excellent. Let's listen. that ending it's really good thanks josh appreciate it yeah the piece is beautiful can you tell me what, all the instruments in that piece yeah. a lot of strings mostly strings. totally Some a lot of strings sounds a lot there. of different yep a lot of strings a lot of different patches remember at okay. the end one thing that i'll say about the strings they don't at all to me sound like they're in the same room like it's kind of clear that to me that they're a little bit cobbled together so that's an example of something that like I want to work on a little bit more. It's a little off topic. I know, I believe it was you and Peter, you were working on putting together a sync library, right, for Fierstein? Yeah, I've been working yeah. on some uh, library music, trying to put together albums. I mean, Evan, right. is it something that you'd think to put on something like that? And do you want to talk about your experience with that? Yeah, sure. It's a great point. It is um, totally, you know, the, the length of the cue, it's I think around 90 seconds or something. I'm trying to hit those marks that they tell you to hit, something having at 15 seconds, something having at 45, and then... Well, do you want to tell our audience what, why do they have that 15-second rule? Yeah, sure. I mean, my, my understanding is that what you're really trying to do is give some someone something that is modular, meaning it can be cut up and rearranged in different ways with kind of clean transitions. Mm -hmm. So if you traditionally what you'll do is make a couple of different length versions of the same cue so that they can be used in different ways and uh you know to to give an editor really like carte blanche to 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 use it however they see fit without having to come back to you to make like a change or something like that yep. so did that inform the compositional process at all it did i d as we just listened to it though i'm like that's i didn't do that you know like it didn't <laughs> really work <laughs> um, but but i do think like yeah i think ideally it would be i think you know to be honest i think i had a little crush on this piece <laughs> um i think like i was really into it and so i didn't want to bring anything like to art of like bad kids for instance totally totally hits that another thing that like i tried to bring that you know, library sensibility to, or, or just at least make it something that an editor can work with easily. That's very like, okay, hit this mark, do that, put that there. With this, I just, I think I started with the intention of doing it that way, but I kind of got too into it. And so I, I, I think with this piece, like I said, I'd love to use it. I think it's ideally some sort of proof of concept to show to potential collaborators like 
you know, I'd love to use this on a thing, but also this is a something that I can do. And I'm capable um, of, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's that's really the idea. I don't actually, I don't know if the library is the destiny for this particular piece, but definitely others. You know, it's you know, it, it's it's something that you have to be open to. I think for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's something that I've I've sometimes have struggled with as a composer, and you know, I've worked on my own personal solo projects, I'm sure all of you have. And so I think it is something that you have to realize and understand when you're trying to make it, in, you know, a living as a living is that you can't, sometimes you have to sell your soul a little bit. The idea to me sometimes yeah. of like, oh, you have to write music that's one minute and 30 seconds and it has to be cut. Be able to, oh, like, that's not, I'm a musician. I want to write a song that goes however it goes. Yes. But that's, I mean, that's, that sounds nice, but uh, you also have to make money and, and make a living. For sure. I mean, so how, so, how do you reconcile those things? It's a great question. I had I had a segue from selling your soul. <laughs> we'll, we'll, Hold on to that one. We'll we'll wait on it. We'll yeah. use that. Um, yeah, I I think it's it's a you know the way I think about it is it just depends on the the piece. Um, I think like for like I said for this I'm not really willing to do that to it because it is kind of a violent experience sometimes wedging something some you know round pegs and square holes or whatever the expression is it's like it's 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 hard to make something fit that paradigm if you're not comfortable with it but the way that I think about writing music I'm not a particularly pure composer like sometimes I think about making music as like building a table you know, like it's got to have four legs. It's got to, mm -hmm. you got to be able to eat dinner on it. Like, you know, it's got to- Serves a function. It serves a function. There's a craft element to it. And so Definitely. if I can make my brain get on board with that, then I, I don't have a problem with it. But I do think it, you know, to, to take this piece and have to deform it and make it fit some kind of set of parameters that I'm not, I just write something else. Yeah. But it's a great question. I think with music, a lot of people will think of it as this beautiful art form that comes from the soul. But at the yes. end of the day, this is a job just as much as being a doctor or an accountant. And we have, yep. we're getting paid and we're using that money to eat and pay rent. And yep. we have to see it as a business the way as anyone else does. And I hope doctors and accountants have a passion and love for their job the way musicians do. Yep. There are certainly a lot of easier ways to make money than doing yeah. what we're doing. Um, but as you said, it's a business. Um, and that is ultimately the the goal, you know, make it a career. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask some questions about some of the work that you've done in your career sure. that we talked about at the very beginning. So yeah, I mean, you have, I didn't know you had worked on these projects, so it's it's pretty cool to hear that. I guess let's start with, I, I love Hamilton. So I'm going to Yeah, ask that's a funny one. Yeah. How you I'm got that gig. That. So this is such an, it, it was such an interesting window into the world, into the music business and also just the business of media more broadly, because it is a hilarious example of like how tricky rights can be. I have a old friend who works entertainment industry. She's, she's a producer. She was working on this project last summer and they needed a totally recreated version of Alexander Hamilton, the song from Hamilton. This is a project that was done with Lin-Manuel Miranda, done with Disney, instrumental, I should say, by the way. <laughs> so they wanted an instrumental. It was easier for them to pay me to completely recreate it than it was for them to negotiate all of the different rights. It was honestly, to, to, to 
connect it back to what we were talking about earlier of like this is a craft and like it's you know uh, it's been art and a craft it depends on the, the context this was total craft this was making a table you know what i mean yeah um and it was can you have this done by the end of the day <laughs> and i was like i guess so <laughs> i'm gonna try if, you're, if you can't someone else will yeah exactly you just have to say yes um so so yeah so that was a funny that's a funny job funny gig um and it actually i i love doing that kind of stuff it was a lot of fun very tight deadline so it can't be perfect you can't sit there fiddling with automation for for 10 hours at a time to make it perfect you just have to kind of cut and run so keep going you you also have something on on cbs is the good fight and NPR's morning edition do you want to talk about how you got those gigs and what that was like sure yeah so the good fight very frequent collaborator of mine who I mentioned, who you mentioned earlier, Jillian Sarah Dooley. She's an old buddy. We were met, met in college and have, have stayed friends and close collaborators ever since. We collaborated on an um, arrangement of a standard called But Not For Me. That, um, Love that song. I, yeah, it's a great song. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very simple. simple. The a- a- arrangement was super, super simple. Put it on Spotify and uh, somehow, I guess, in... A and R or not like a music supervisor for CBS got in touch with us and licensed it for an episode of this show. Um, Did you need to get the rights, or is that a jazz standard so you could record um, it? I, you know what, there was. I think we did have to. I think we did have to. Guess an A and R or not like a music supervisor for CBS got in touch with us and licensed it for an episode of this show. Um, did you need to get the rights or is that a jazz standard so you could record um, it? I, you know what, there was, I think we did have to, but I, I think it was a pretty simple process. So what, what, what's next in your career? What are you working on right now? You know, what's your, yeah. kind of, what's your long-term goal? I know you've mentioned you're getting more interested in sound design. As a composer, you have to do a bunch of different things. You know, it seems like you're doing that. So for what's, what's sure. next for you? Um, great question trying to hit the ground running this summer, working on a whole bunch of films uh, at Fierstein, a, a handful of them in the sound post capacity, and then also I'll be scoring them. So it's a way to, like I was saying earlier, like get my music in as many places as possible. My plan is to cold call a bunch of New York based composers and ask if I can be a, like assist them, like clean up their logic tracks and Hell stuff yeah. like that. That's a plan, just trying to just trying to diversify and work hard and keep it moving and all that good stuff. So thank you so much, Evan Johnston. I don't have social media, probably terrible for my career, um, but you can go to my website, evanjohnstonmusic.com, get in touch with me there. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was so fun. Awesome. My name is Jillian Orwall. I'm here with Josh. Thank and you. And I've yep. been Josh the Composer. Squirrely J has been running the sound. Where does the yeah, J? Squirrely J, J over J? here. What is the J? <laughs> That's my middle J? name. Oh, it is. Peter J. Scoma. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, don't tell him what my real name is. No. <laughs> 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 All right. This has been Cinema Sound Bites. Thank you so much for watching. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Cinema Sound Bites, a podcast and community for lovers of music and media. You can follow us on our social media. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Support us on Patreon. For just a dollar a month, it will help us get this project off the ground. Until next time.